Uh, our scripture comes from the book of Luke, chapter 23, verses 44 to 47. It says, It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed. And the, curtains, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent or righteous. For all of the history of Israel, they were waiting for a king who trusted God. To be sure, the people of Israel were sinful, but it was understood that where Israel's king went, Israel went. If Israel had a bad king, Israel went downhill, God was displeased and things got worse. If Israel had a good king that trusted God, which was rarely, God was pleased and things got better. This was even true when the king was good, but Israel as a whole was bad. So the king became a representative for the whole nation. The whole nation was too sinful to ever please God, but every once in a while there was a king who wasn't so bad, and God was pleased. He would overlook the sins of the whole nation because at least the king followed him. The prototypical king who trusted God was David, who faced war and persecution and tragedy, but nevertheless stayed relatively faithful to God his entire life. He certainly had many flaws, but his trust was enough to buy Israel several centuries of grace. Eventually, the Old Testament said that there would come a king who would trust God perfectly, even through suffering. And even more than when God overlooked the sin of Israel as payment for the righteousness of David, God would overlook the sin of all his people forever for the righteousness of this coming king, who would look a lot like David, but better. David wrote many psalms praising God, including this one from Psalm 31. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness deliver me. Incline your ear to me, rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress, and for your name's sake you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net that they have hidden for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit, for you have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Of course, you'll notice in this passage that Jesus says the very same thing, into your hand I commit my spirit. That David says in this psalm. And you can see how fitting it would be for Jesus to say all this. In the psalm it says, Because of all my adversaries I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel, for I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. How easily you could see Jesus saying that all from the cross. But nevertheless, Jesus trusts God and commits his spirit to him. In this passage, it's revealed that Israel has finally been given the thing that the king that trusts God perfectly. It's the very last thing he does as he gives his last breath directly to his father that he has trusted all his life. And he still trusts him, even as he dies shamefully surrounded by nothing but enemies. 
His bid to be the Messiah that sets the world right looks like it has fallen to shambles. And Jesus has nothing but the word of his Father to guarantee that his sacrifice would be honored. And we know that God did honor his sacrifice. Jesus gave over his dying breath to his Father, and his Father gave his breath back to him three days later, making him victorious over death and hell. Israel had cried out for a righteous king like David that would be so faithful to God that God would overlook the sins of the whole world. And this passage says that God has given that king to the world. Even the Roman centurion, looking around at the ominous wrath of God against the temple and the Jewish leaders, the earthquake and the darkening of the skies, had come to the conclusion that surely this was a righteous man. And he was a righteous man. And he was a just king. And a king so just that he has justified all of us by his blood. The hope of all the world was finally fulfilled. And the perfect king that the world needed since the foundation was here. We had cried out for this king for generations and generations to save all of creation from subjection to fertility and from pain and suffering and death. God so loved the world that he gave us this king. And we killed him. Next time we come to Advent and we sing, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. We, we should remember that the first time he came, the goodness and beauty of his kingdom was so intolerable to us that we killed him. And this is our lament on Good Friday. We do not know what's good for us. When we see exactly what the world desperately needs given to us, when we see the perfect beauty of the Son of God trusting his Father with his dying breath, when we see a king willing to help give himself up in shame and agony for his people, when we see the perfect incarnation of the glory of God, we have an instinct toward total revulsion that leads us to shut it out, to crucify it, to crucify all of it. We could never save ourselves because when our Savior came, we killed him. God have mercy on us sinners. But we do know that Jesus was the long expected righteous king. And his righteousness was so great that God is willing to overlook all of our sins, as long as we are part of the people of God and the kingdom of Christ. And yes, that includes the kind of sins that led us to see the truest beauty and the revelation of the glory of God and to crucify it. It includes the ugliest sins imaginable, where we hate beauty and love ugliness, and we hate goodness and love evil. And the trust which Jesus had in his Father was not in vain, because not only was he risen from the dead, but he inaugurated a new kind of life for us. And that's the kind of life that begins with a new kind of heart that God has given us through the resurrection of Jesus and through his promised Holy Spirit. It's the kind of life that imitates Jesus and not the crowds in the story, giving ourselves up in love and suffering for others and carrying out Jesus' work and setting the world right again. And all that God requires of us is that we come to him now, just as we are, even with every instinct that caused us to crucify the perfect incarnation of the glory and beauty and righteousness of God. 
and he's faithful and just to forgive us all of our sins, overlooking all of them for the sake of his righteous son, Jesus Christ.